Hello there and welcome to the Women of Blockchain podcast by Cointelligence Academy, where we provide a unique and impartial blockchain and crypto education. This podcast is delivered to you in collaboration with Public, a Web 3.0 search engine that is powered by people and AI and fueled by its own token economy, sharing 80% of its profits with the web ecosystem. I'm your host, Laura Salomido, and our today's guest is Lucy Zhu. Lucy is a marketeer and a startup advisor with a background in building brand messaging and marketing programs for B2B SaaS startups, tech companies, and personal brands. I'm thrilled to have Lucy join us on the show and share her story that is so inspiring and motivating. In 2016, Lucy moved from New York City to Athens and founded the company called The Port to adapt best practices and bridge resources across global markets. In our talk, she gives an overview of the Greek technology market, how she identified the opportunities that were not as obvious and took the risk to follow her dream and make it come true. One of the key messages from our talk with Lucy is how to develop adaptability and determination in order to execute on your ideas. Well, I'm excited to jump into the interview and welcome Lucy to the show. Welcome to the show, Lucy. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Laura. It's such a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So there is so much I'd like to cover with you today. but Let's start with your origin story. So I've heard from one of your talks that your parents immigrated to the U.S. from China and mm-hmm. you were born and raised in the U.S. Is that right? Yeah. So I was like, well, I was born in Canada, but I was born in America, North America. And yes, my parents immigrated um, from China for graduate school and then had me later had my sister and so born uh raised american and then found my way in a chinese household and then found my way to greece uh almost four years ago now uh, 2017. yeah we'll talk about all of that so but i wonder how do you believe that your family background and all the dynamics you just described how have they shaped who you are today Definitely. That's a great question. I mean, we are, you know, the creation and all of the sweat and, uh, and sacrifices that the generations before, you know, kind of put into the world to, to allow us to continue this legacy. And so directly translated, I was raised in a very, um, kind of a very, highly disciplinarian, highly education focused and highly um, high achieving, uh, enabling household. So because my parents were immigrants and because I grew up in a Chinese uh, household, there was a lot of focus on education and how the importance of just knowledge, especially being in a new environment for them. It's kind of like the one thing that that can't be taken away. And also they're both engineers by trade Um, who worked very hard to get where they were. So they instilled a lot of these values in me to be hardworking, to like always be pushing forward and and kind of looking forward to the next achievement um, and whatever that could look like. And so I I think I owe a lot of my drive to both my parents and probably particularly my mother because she was at a certain point, you know, working, juggling a couple of of jobs at once, waitressing, putting herself through um, a master's degree, also raising 
I like a little four or five year old me at the time. So um, growing up in that kind of environment really, I think did a lot to push me forward and help me develop resilience probably or observe resilience um, and hard work as a young child. And then now um, being in, in Greece, which we'll talk about later, I think uh, it's also just really appreciating um, the cultures, the commonalities between cultures that are, um, have this kind of like hard, you know, uh, education, legacy focus, um, like ancient civilization. So all of that ties together. And um, yeah, that is the product of me. <laughs> So interesting. Actually, I also heard you talk about um, the story, how you came across the, the Odyssey book that was handed to you, I think, at your English class. Mm -hmm. And I think, was that the, at the point at which your curiosity and love towards Greece and the Greek culture was born? Yeah, looking back, I would say yes. At that point, it was planting looking back that moment planted the seed but did reading that book make me immediately need to hop on a plane as a 16 year old in sitting in that english classroom uh and go to greece to learn more at that point no but kind of what looking back the story of odysseus has really stayed with me throughout the years because even just I love, I mean, of course, at face level, it's, it's a beautiful piece of literature that is withheld the, the test of time. And the second part of it is just, I remember sitting in that class and I'm still um, very close. For, I became close friends with the teacher that was teaching it, a woman named Karen, and she, or Miss Hand at the time. And she um, really taught the aspects of the story that were, you know, like all of the, the symbolism and all of the challenges that this that this man that this champion had to overcome and so I've seen that in different stages of my life that hero's journey which of course is the key facet of that um one of the key uh long-standing facets that came out of that tale um right. just understanding that each person has their own hero's journey seeing you know seeing whatever you know cyclops that we each have to face and understanding that it's it is about the journey right it's about the journey home whatever home looks like. And so it planted the seed. I will say all that coupled with my teenage self watching um, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, which is kind of a silly but very true anecdote. The uh, storyline of Lena, one of the main girls in the, in the movie that's derived from the book, she's uh, visiting her family back in Greece and it was filmed in Santorini. And I think that was the first time I'd visibly saw, cause this was also pre Instagram, right? Like pre, you know, of there was course. not much, I wasn't like Googling, what does Greece look like? And I wasn't, tra we weren't travel like as a family, we weren't traveling to Greece cause it wasn't, you know, on the, the holiday docket. But right. I saw the movie and there was, obviously it's very beautiful, but there was something specifically about like that, that storyline that I really loved. So it was kind of like a continuation of those seeds being planted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. So that's what planted yeah, the seeds. I, to the I love that story. So, so, okay. So about three years ago, you made a decision to move to Greece to start mm -hmm. your business actually. So can you take us back to that moment and share what your experience was that was like? So how did you make the decision and, and sort of got yourself together, your life and just moved? Yeah. So I moved three years ago, January of 2017. But of course there were 
there was planning and a lot of a lot of uh, events that happened before that that led to the move. So one, the primary one being a summer trip in Greece, uh, summer of 2016, so the previous year. And I, you know, booked a five day solo trip holiday for myself because I love traveling alone, always have and still love it. And so I kind of took this trip as a soul searching, kind of eat, pray, love, clearing my head, figuring out. At that point, I'd been in New York for a few years. Uh, I'd been part of this really rapidly growing and just incredible experience of a startup. Um, I joined as like the 30th or 40th team member, saw the team grow um, multiples up to like 200 people. I was the third marketing hire and the marketing team scaled like 10 times. So within like two and a half years, three years. And so I was really kind of figuring out what my next adventure would be um, professionally. And so I took this trip and it was, I'd saved up, you know, vacation time being um, part of the team for so many years. And so I took the opportunity to just travel to Greece, clear my head. At that point, didn't, had no idea how charmed I would be by the entire country. But from the minute um, and the culture, the minute the plane landed to the minute I, you know, had to fly back it was this whole really kind of magical i i made friends along that trip that i still um stay in touch with both like tourists these like lovely women from um the uk as well as like local greeks and so at that point i was still thinking that i would stay in new york city and continue that path of you know whatever the next startup that i would help build look like and so when I went back, I, you know, had a couple of uh, job interviews, had like referrals, um, had a couple of offers that I ended up turning down. And ultimately, um, what led me on the Greece journey, what opened the door was I was sitting in a coffee shop. I remember in like fall of, uh, of 2016, after I got back from my trip, I was, you know, writing resumes, cover letters um, on the weekend. And I looked up top startups in Athens because that's, idea just popped into my head and the Google search brought up a list. So this was 2016 and the list that was like the top search item was like from 2012. So it was a list of like six startups. And I remember thinking, look, you know, it's four years old. Probably some of these startups have shut down shop, but maybe some of them, if they have, because they're founded by entrepreneurs, that entrepreneurial spirit, they're probably onto their next venture. So I found the founders of all of these startups on LinkedIn. Um, I found their emails and I just cold emailed them with this cover cover letter that had something along the lines of, you know, I love your culture. I, my background is in B2B SaaS marketing and also consulting. Um, I was previously at IBM and technology. And so if you're looking for an English speaking marketer, like I'm your girl and the, some didn't respond, but half of them did. And they were very welcoming. They said, look, we love your enthusiasm, but um, unfortunately we're looking for native Greek speakers, which we Greek speaking marketers, which we assume um, you might not have that skill set. But if you're serious about moving to Greece and kind of going down this journey, then we'd be happy to introduce you to people that could use a skill set like yours. And so that's truly how the journey unfolded. So they, they kind of referenced me to uh, like some Facebook groups, some LinkedIn groups. Um, they introduced me 
to their contacts in the investment world, the VC world, other other founders that were building startups that were speaking to like more global audiences. And so um, that led to me booking a trip back to Greece fall uh, over November of 2016 and kind of just spending a week on the ground to show the local ecosystem that I was serious, that I wanted to really meet people face to face, that I wanted to understand what their needs were, what the demands were, if there was even truly room for somebody like me that was <laughs> kind of crazy at the time trying to, you know, embed myself into a very, very um, geographically specific ecosystem. But I figured, you know, there's technology everywhere. And there's a lot of big English speaking markets that these technologies are trying to sell into. So that's where I could come in. And um, yeah, I left with two final round interviews that I did from New York City, accepted one of the job offers, hopped on a plane in January of 2017, a one-way flight, and uh, didn't look back. Honestly, this is impressive, but I wonder, so when you did your first search and you found that there are only a few startups, how did that not put you off by thinking that, oh, well, there's no much going on? So how did you see the, the unique opportunity that most people wouldn't see? Yeah, I I say this often, but I, I truly do. And I've done enough personality tests to know that I skew more risk seeking. And so I think it, it brings this unique perspective that um, unique is a nice euphemistic way of putting it. But I think uh, some people might call it crazy. But I see like I saw that list and I saw just opportunity. I saw that list and I was like, wow, you know, like it's great that it's not ground zero, right? It's great that, you know, like there were no, no results. Cause I think that would have been really a shot in the dark, but I saw that list and I was like four years ago, there were startups, which means now there's probably more startups or those startups are still around and there's an opportunity to contribute and be a part of this nascent ecosystem in a way that at that point I didn't even realize all of the opportunities and just the incredible like people and partners and just inspiring entrepreneurial minds that I would meet here locally on the, along the way. But at that point, I saw an opportunity truly just to take my skill set and put it to the test in a very different market with the fallback in my mind, because, you know, we all uh, plan for worst case scenarios. I figured if it doesn't work out, if I don't like it, if I get too homesick or it's just, you know, too different of a business culture. I would have one year of a really unique experience under my belt, go back to New York City and just continue down the um, professional trajectory that I was going down, which was very familiar to me. And so kind of like the unfamiliarity of it actually really piqued my enthusiasm in a way that is, um, I think, specific to how I, I like to pursue passion projects in life. I absolutely love the way you put it. It's it's amazing. So talk talk to us about your project in Greece now. So the port. So what does mm -hmm. it do? What what needs does it serve? And also about the name. I've heard you speak and giving a beautiful metaphor about the port and the ships navigating the waters. I won't be able to rephrase it exactly, but I would love for you to to explain. You know what the port does. And yeah, absolutely. So I spent. The port is a combination of two main facets. So the first facet, well, at the top level, we are working with Greek and American companies and startups 
um, that are trying to work on their messaging, make it more cohesive. Specifically in Greece, we're supporting startups that are across all stages that are looking to sell into English-speaking markets, um, looking to kind of streamline their, their business, their marketing, and their overall strategy with some best practices that we adapt from more established uh business and startup ecosystems like the states and then state sides we provide uh, more outsourced marketing support for venture-backed startups so it's a marketing and business consultancy and it was born out of for me personally um two main facets which is the first one being i'd always wanted to i didn't know what it would look like but even from like university days always wanted to open up some sort of brand consultancy i thought it was it would be personal branding consulting um but some sort of marketing consulting because that's what i did as an undergrad and continued to pursue um after i i graduated and then the second part was this um this new piece of the puzzle, which was that first job that I'd taken um, when I arrived in January 2017, I spent a full year with them and really made it my intention before I arrived to just fully embed myself and learn and absorb as much as I could about local Greek business culture, about the local Greek startup ecosystem. So I was working inside of this early stage at a tech startup. They were about like eight people wide. I was constantly going to all of the, um, the events, the networking events, trying to understand, you know, what kind of uh, topics were being talked about, getting to like meeting now some of my closest friends that I'd met at those events because we work in the same industry, just um, previously were thousands of miles apart. So all of that kind of really gave me a sense and understanding that I could be doing what I was doing for that one startup full time and scaling it to support startups um, at scale in Greece to really because there were a lot of startups that were kind of seeing opportunity in English speaking markets like the States and just needed a little bit of extra um, support to get that message to be super compelling and also adapted to that specific market, right? Because the way that you would sell to a Greek customer is very different than the way that you tried to sell your software to an American customer. Absolutely. So that's the, yeah. So that is the opportunity that um, I saw and that's how the port was born. And I'd spent the first, well, I think I spent the tail end of 2017 mulling on this idea subconsciously and then the beginning of 2018 is when uh, I left to pursue this and grow this full time. And the port as a name, as a brand came when I was sitting at a port in, um, I think it was Pados at the time, but essentially I was looking out, um, you know, it was one of those cafes that's looking onto the actual, the, the port where the ferry ships come in. And there's something so poetic about, and specifically there was, I learned that the ferries actually carry like the resources for the island because the island, sure, there's a lot of natural resources, but things like, you know, like bottled water, or other, um, you know, other resources that might not be naturally produced on the island, those are carried in, in the ferry ships. So um, essentially seeing that the ships like not only brought like cool people, like tourists, new perspectives, but also truly brought and exchanged these like resources for the island. I saw it as kind of this poetic metaphor of the port being um, 
kind of like a home base that is really facilitating exchange between um, resources, between people, between perspectives. And so the port, we like to say the bigger metaphor is you come to the port to get the resources you need to sail away and go global. And so our um, one of our taglines is dare to navigate uncharted waters because we want to be able to give these little startup ships the ability and the messaging and the strategy that they need to really feel confident in navigating the uncharted waters that is growing a startup um, globally. Well, I think it's brilliant and it, it makes so much sense. Um, so congratulations on that. I think it's really impressive Thank what you've you. done. But Lucia, I want to expand with a little bit on the emerging technologies uh, within Greece since you've been mm -hmm. there for a while now and I'm sure you have a very unique angle on it. So not only because it's interesting, but also because I believe it's important to, to do that as it may serve as a useful example where we can observe how a country that has faced, well, great economic difficulties recently finds creative ways of moving forward. And understanding that is not only helpful on a national level, so to speak, but also on an individual level. And there's so many lessons we can learn. So mm -hmm. on that note, so what kind of technologies are you seeing are the most sort of um, making the most impact in, in, in Greece right now? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And one that um, we love receiving a lot at the port because we're working with, you know, Greeks in the diaspora. We host events and a lot of people are kind of shocked just to hear about all of the technology that's coming out of Greece and the innovation but I imagine as the years go on it will be less shocking and it, there will be more affiliation so essentially the main industries I would say I always begin with saying they are the industries that are core that have long been core to kind of Greece's economy Greece's GDP Greece as a nation so things that are the pillars that have really held it up pre-technology days and are continue to be disrupted now. So industries like travel and tourism, shipping and maritime, food and agritech, um, e-commerce, because there's a lot of, you know, like mom and pop shops and kind of really entrepreneurial, um, natural entrepreneurial spirit that exists in the Greek DNA. So you're seeing startups that are popping up that um, are disrupting these industries in, in very, uh, straightforward ways, it's such as, you know, digitizing things or bringing uh, marketplaces online to be able to have people search for things and or, you know, book ferries, for example, there's a great startup called Ferry Hopper in a way that is um, simpler, in a way that's more streamlined, in a way that may be more foreigner friendly to, you know, specifically for the travel and tourism industry, for example, um, you know, welcoming allowing global users to also be able to access Greek um, services and, and Greek experiences, I think is really, um, it's just really fun to watch that evolve. And also as a foreigner myself, um, to be able to utilize those softwares and really find them improving my, um, my life and making my life easier as well. And then outside of that, because the Greeks are have long been a very like education focused um, and just generally knowledge focused society. It's truly, I mean, people joke about this, but it's really not a coincidence that, you know, like Socrates and uh, Aristotle and other great philosophers came out of Greece because it just, it really is this legacy of constantly searching for knowledge and kind of like lasting knowledge that impacts the world and how we've seen that translated in the modern generation is now, you know, Greece is 
not coincidentally, you know, has seen the highest enrollment rates across um, kind of like advanced degrees, post-university uh, degrees in like all developed countries. And this results in, you know, very, very highly technical, highly trained talent across fields that are very, very convenient for um, that parallel well for like technology innovation, specifically lots of really talented engineers. Um, I do think the crisis, or I know the crisis had a lot to do with that because, you know, people are, that typically spurs people to invest more time in and resources in education during those crisis mm -hmm. periods because, you know, unemployment is high. But I think even before that, there's this just like really, really large pool of highly educated Greeks that are doing cool things now in Greece and for Greeks in the diaspora, very just high achieving. And so you're seeing those Greeks that have stayed start, um, start businesses and startups or work in startups that are also starting to tackle deep tech space, right? So um, things like, like blockchain, things like um, higher tech technologies, AI, machine learning. Um, all of that is still nascent, but there's, um, Greece is very well primed and Greek founders and Greek talent is very well primed to develop um, technologies like that. And we're seeing it happen now. That is so interesting. I love the way you put it that, you know, it's not coincidental and, and probably, yeah, well, I agree with you, especially being Greek myself. Mm -hmm. um, so on this show, of course, we love blockchain. So I wonder mm -hmm. if you could give us an overview of um, what's the, the climate of blockchain like in Greece from kind of general awareness to user adoption and if there are any known applications already. Yeah, I would say within the pub like the more popular conversation spheres in the startup ecosystem it is still very much early stage and very nascent and that there aren't startups that have that come to mind that are really kind of like growing rapidly or um or large enough to be you know m mentioned quite yet but they are definitely there um i was even speaking a couple of months ago with uh somebody I'd met when I first moved here and we kind of reconnected and he's working on still in stealth mode, but kind of a blockchain network because he recognizes that there aren't, that's kind of like dispersed, it's far and few, but it is, it does exist. And so he's building this network of um, people that are either working within blockchain or looking to hire uh, talent within blockchain. So there's that community um, that is being started and he would be the first person to start something like that. So that I'm sharing that to kind of give you a sense of how early stage it is. Mm -hmm. That being said, there are cool, I mean, related to blockchain in Greece, there are cool initiatives um, and experts that are tied to Greece, like of Greek descent that might not be living in Greece per se, but are working in blockchain. Um, one specific uh, reference that comes to mind is Reload Greece, which is an organization that's coming out of Greece that's really, it, aiming to kind of inspire and empower this next generation of Greece to reload it. Um, they had a, uh, an event that was earlier this year, I think it was like two or three months ago, and they have these two speakers, um, one named FEP, um, and she's like a FinTech and blockchain advisor that's based out of Switzerland. And then another man that was the, the co-founder and CEO, um, his, he's also uh, a Greek founder of a startup called Norblock that's based out of Sweden. 
So you're seeing kind of like Greek founders that might not necessarily be in Greece um, that are also kind of developing these blockchain technologies. Right. So, and then also there's also another uh, Greek woman that really is, uh, she's a, her name is Evi Kali, and I think she's a member of the European Parliament now. Um, and she's just a big advocate. She speaks at a lot of events. Um, we were, I met her in passing at this event um, called Tech in the City that was student run in Thessaloniki last year. Um, I was speaking and she was the keynote speaker and she just was, is just such a huge proponent of blockchain in Greece. And so um, you, there is that, that narrative and that wave that is being developed. That's wonderful to hear. So you've already mentioned a few uh, projects, but which ones would you say are your favorite projects at the moment in Greece and any tech field and, and, and why? Yeah, I would say I like seeing the projects that, I mean, again, are disrupting. Ah, that's a tough question. I think probably I'll answer it with three different sectors that I'd mentioned before. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is travel and tourism because it's, it, it's such a core piece of the, I mean, statistically and like actually of the Greek GDP. It is such a big part of the economy and that it is really, um, it, it drives, you know, a third to probably nearly half of all of the revenue that the country brings in, right? Because it's such a beautiful destination. And for me coming in, it was really interesting because coming from a place like New York, a market like New York, um, tourism doesn't account for, you know, much. They have other kind of things that are holding up their economy. So it is really interesting to see um, Greece, a country like Greece, have that be a part of their economy that also, again, is not... Um, coincidental because you know all of the the hospitality and kind of like how there's even a a, a, a specific Zeus that's de dedicated to welcoming foreigners like Senyos Zevs all of that it's really cool to watch that evolve and kind of manifest in modern day in these technologies that are really built to support um, or kind of create access to maybe alternative tourism there's a startup called greg addict or again you know like ferry hopper making booking easier one of our previous clients this company called sync bnb they are enabling um vacation rental owners and like hotel owners to be able to like sync their calendars across platforms so really kind of seeing that tangible um th those tangible products that i would even use as an end user um, that's really cool to watch that disrupt such a critical space in um, Greek tech. The other, the second sector I'd say um, kind of tangential is shipping and maritime. So Greece, of course, historically has long been known for um, its prowess and just its leadership in uh, general shipping and maritime, given its geographic location, given uh, just the, the brilliant nature of all of the explorers and so today we see that, of course, in kind of like big shipping families, big, uh, big shipping companies, family owned companies. And what we're seeing now is these companies are actually investing in their next generation, um, you know, the, of, uh, of the family business, of the shipping business. And you're seeing technologies being developed um, and specifically that investment is going into technology. So you're seeing like really cool um, 
technologies being developed that are really trying to take on the um, dinosaur that is sh the shipping industry, right? There's a lot of traditional aspects about it. It's a very like large beast. And so to see these families really like take the lead in terms of like investing in these technologies, I think is really brilliant. Um, we had a, a series earlier this year and we had the privilege of speaking on blockchain. Actually, we had the privilege of speaking with um, Roberto Custas, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Deep Sea AI. And um, they are working across a range of products to kind of really ease shipping um, ports and kind of like optimize different aspects of all of those um, areas of business within the maritime world. And you're seeing great startups like Marine Traffic, Signal Ocean, all of these companies that are really rising up in the shipping and maritime space. And then the last sector I'd say that is really interesting to watch grow, um, although again, this list isn't fully inclusive, these are just kind of the ones that have come to mind currently, um, is food and agritech. So specifically there is a um, food and agriculture, of course, has always been core, and farming has been core to the Greek economy as well. Greece boasts truly some of the best and most quality ingredients across the world. Um, and you are seeing big giants like, um, or like le agricultural leaders like the Netherlands actually um, invest in Greece by way of uh, startups through programs like Orange Grove, which is affiliated with the Dutch embassy and has kind of a series of different incubation and like startup competitions that are specific for um, supporting and incubating food and agri-tech ideas coming out of Greece by Greek founders. Um, and they first started in Athens. So they're actually, their space is right under the Dutch embassy. And recently they also expanded to Patras, which um, is in the Peloponnese, as I'm sure you know, Laura. Mm -hmm. And so they are like actually just continuing to like expand their interest in kind of seeing how agriculture innovation is coming out of Greece. So I would say those are some cool areas to, for the I really, listeners to I really out. love how diverse it is. You know, there's just... There's just so much to, you know, there's so much innovation required, obviously, but just that the country offers so much diversity for people to be able to tackle in different industries. And it's really, really interesting. But speaking about challenges, I think you've mentioned a couple of things, but what kind of challenges um, would you say stand in the way of that Greek innovation? I think apart from the obvious, you know, the, the government the budgets and whatnot, but what do you think is currently the the biggest challenges that you dealing with or in general? Yeah, I would say you hit the nail on the head with the gov. I mean, I wouldn't say the government, I would say the bureaucracy that just has just been part of, you know, even for me kind of like going to the bank, needing specific paper, like all of that as an individual is very difficult. And as a business up until now has been difficult. But the new administration, um, led by Prime Minister Mitsotakis and his team, um, has really done an incredibly amazing job at not only managing coronavirus this year, but kind of really pushing forward more business-friendly initiatives. So, you know, like lowering taxes, corporate taxes, even facilitating international investment by making it really favorable, like creating really favorable conditions to welcome international investment. And um, so I would say that is a challenge, but it's being 
alleviated slowly but surely. I think the other, yeah, definitely. Um, oh, on the kind of like administration um, topic, there is also an incredible thought leader that Prime Minister Mitsotakis brought under his wing um, when he came into office, a man named Steve Renakis, who is the chief creative officer of Greece. So he's formerly at Google and he just has this creative vision and but more specifically kind of innovation vision for Greece that is really, um, really incredible to, to see unfold through, um, through initiatives like Elevate Greece. That's really, tr they're trying to map the startup ecosystem and kind of connect it and expand it. And um, that his, and he and his team's whole goal is to um, help Greece get put on the map as uh, more than just a tourist destination, which of course is an amazing one, but really kind of create this, uh, help the world understand all that Greece has to offer and it has been already offering, but just um, needs a little like branding and marketing to, to help people understand that. And so I would say the second major challenge comes from the, is a result of the crisis. So brain drain is a huge, huge challenge in that, but it's, again, we're seeing more and more um, people come back, but essentially there's a lot of, you know, we spoke about that talented pool of really highly educated Greeks. And um, unfortunately, because of the, the decade long crisis, there was not so much opportunity for them. So they ended up leaving to going and going to like other parts of um, the world where there was more opportunity. And now we're seeing a slow reversal of this brain drain, which is being echoed by all, like all stakeholders in the ecosystem. Investors are mentioning it. Um, you have like major startups that are, um, are mentioning it. And there was a great, great um, podcast with, actually it was a video, it was kind of like a webinar panel that was held by the Hellenic Innovation Network coming out of Boston. And they interviewed kind of all of the big exits um, Greek founded exits coming out of Greece, companies like Inuetics, um, companies like Avocarit, and all of these founders actually found their way back to Greece. If they didn't start their company in Greece, they nice. recently in the last one, two years relocated and expanded. Um, and because they're like this amazing talent pool, and then they themselves are, you know, actual examples of this re, re-coming home and also one of our clients uh trans effects they have a repatriation program that is offering um greeks living abroad specifically engineers developers they're giving them a stipend to repatriate back if they um want to join trans effects and as uh out of their um greece office so there's a lot of cool initiatives that are driving that brain gain um and that although brain drain was a challenge, again, that's kind of being alleviated. And I think the other one that I've, I've gotten asked about, and I do think as a foreigner, there is, I, I relate to it, but there is kind of a business culture that you have to adapt to in that it's, it's a different pace. It's a different, it's very relationship based. It's very, um, I mean, it's a different culture. So if you, even if you've spent a year, like a year, a few years, um, living and working in a, in a place like New York or uh, London, there is a little bit of adjustment. If, if you have like Greek roots, there's, I have friends that have come from these experiences. There's a little bit of adjustment that needs to happen. Um, 
I came from like zero Greek groups and the adjustment took like a year, a year and a half. So I think that is something just to be mindful of. But once you kind of do adjust, you also, I'm also able to see just the real beauty of the Greek way of life, the Greek way of doing business. There's a lot to admire and a lot to learn from. And so kind of piecing together that global experience of like, taking what you want to learn from what inspires you and piecing that together with um, what you've learned from maybe other other chapters of of your life that maybe came from other places is uh is awesome that is nicely put so how to conclude this chat on the greek technology um so how would you say that the greek tech market compares to the rest of, i mean of the world i'm sure you're more familiar with the us but i'll be interested to hear you already said that the business culture is very different but Overall, how would you say they different or similar? Yeah, I would say they're different in the industries that, of course, because every region of the world, every market has different industries that prop up the uh, the region. Um, in in New York, I was familiar with like fintech, marketing tech, retail um, is being disrupted there. Here, it's the industries that we talked about. I think also um, I've been to conferences in other European, other um, other Mediterranean specifically areas like Portugal, Porto, and they echoed also this kind of like regional sentiment that there is a little bit of a, pa- a pace difference in that startups, um, specifically I remember speaking to this founder in Porto and he said that he wishes startups failed faster, but they don't like as they, as they failed as quickly as, you know, we're reading about in Silicon Valley, because then the founders would be able to like go on to the next thing. And I asked, well, why, where does this come from? Where does this challenge come from? And he mentioned, it's just, you know, the way the pace of business here is just, it moves at a Mediterranean pace. He wasn't saying it's good or bad, but he's like, because it's a different region with like different, um, pace then also the kind of like the pace of innovation is different than other more like fast really really sometimes overly fast moving um markets like new york yeah, city that makes um, total Silicon sense. Valley. yeah right yeah yeah totally um, i never thought about this this way but yeah and i think the other main difference is just its earlier stage but truly our team is quite bullish on um following perhaps a similar trajectory to other previously nascent ecosystems like Tel Aviv in Israel, Bangalore in India, like all of these ecosystems had to, you know, start their journey of a thousand miles to, um, with one single step. And it's really been so fun and such a privilege to watch the Greek ecosystem in even just my three and a half years here exponential difference like even just you know like the understanding of the awareness of startups as an industry the the exits that have come the fundraising the funding that came back in 2018 300 million euros from the european um, investment fund all of that innovation is being spurred so while the stage is different the the stage of the actual ecosystem is very much early stage um there is a lot of opportunity ahead so we're quite bullish on the greek startup ecosystem as a whole 
Well, really positive. So uh, Lucy, I also want to talk to you about something while we still have some time and that is adaptability. And I think you will be the perfect person to talk about this. Um, I think the need for adaptability has never been bigger than it is now, um, which is why I think the ability for people for people, teams, organizations to adapt to changes in, in their environments and to stay relevant, I think is the defining kind of characteristic between success and failure. I mean, it's, it's, it's that important. So from your perspective, how do you perceive um, adaptability and how would you actually describe someone who's adaptable? Wow. That's a fantastic question, Laura. And um, <laughs> I'm honored that you think my perspective would be valuable. Um, I think maybe I'll start with the very like micro level of my personal experience getting thrown into or throwing myself into the Greek market was a true test in adaptability. And that first year specifically, as I was really just trying to, you know, ground myself, figure out what, what was me, what was Greek, what was, you know, what is the right way? What is the wrong, you know, but that in and of itself taught me a big lesson, which was, I think adaptability comes from this mindset of understanding that there's no right or wrong way to do something. I think we, there's always better ways. Sure. I think, um, especially for example, me, my experience in that first startup, I came in really thinking that like, Oh, like, you know, shoot, like, this is not how I do business. Like, this is not how, you know, meetings are run. This is not how calendar events are scheduled. This is not how you make sales calls. And very quickly, I had to learn that if I continued with that mindset, there was no way that I could really, well, a, like A, add value and B, get value, right? There's no way, if I just went in thinking that there was one right way to do something, um, then it would be very difficult to adapt. Like there's no, there's no world in which um, you come in thinking, like you come in very rigid as a brick wall and then like everything ends up being okay. I think adaptability is like being able to flow and kind of like take the shape of your container, <laughs> for example, of like um, to quote this like Taoist uh, philosophy on how um, I like life can be like water. So I think adaptability is just understanding that the ties are ever changing. I think 2020 has shown us more than ever that nothing is certain and it's that greek phrase you know when man makes plans god laughs mm -hmm. and kind of just getting getting okay with uncertainty as well so understanding there's no right or wrong way there's just the way that's being done and it's probably being done for very specific reasons it's being done because you know if there were a better way they would be doing it but there isn't a better way in in that context so it is that's why they're doing it it's, you know, based on their experience, it's maybe based on the status quo, all of that. And so kind of really being compassionate and empathetic towards why certain decisions are being made or why, um, why certain things are the way they are. I think that is the, the foundation of adaptability, because then you can figure out exactly how much you want to, you know, align with that, and then how much you want to bring in perhaps outside perspectives, but not in a way that's like coming in hot that's saying like you're doing it wrong, but in a way that actually adapts to that, that adapts to the culture or adapts to the business or adapts to the team or the whatever thing you're trying to impact because it, the way, again, you know, the message and the coaching that you deliver to, you know, a Greek founder would be very different than the message and coaching that you deliver to 
a German founder, an American founder. Like all of that, I think, is a variation on a greater theme, which is just a combination of balancing the world you come from and the world that you're trying to impact. So interesting. So, okay, I want to hear your thoughts on on personal values when it comes to adaptability. I think often it gets mistaken for like extreme flexibility where people can easily bend in any direction and assimilate mm-hmm. any environment and sort of not particularly stand for anything. And I personally feel that this is this is just couldn't be further from the truth. And I think that adaptable people know very well what they stand for. And if anything, they I think that to choose what to adapt to, what is right and what is wrong, is actually because you know your own personal values. So I wanted to hear your yes. your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you yeah, the way you described it is very um, on point and aligns with how I would answer it. And you're able to be adaptable because I believe you've been grounded. You're able to be truly, effectively, efficiently, and just truly adaptable if you've grounded in your own personal values. So again, it's not, you know, I think what I'd said before, you know, there's no right or wrong way. That, I mean it on like a macro level, right? Like you're doing it a certain way, somebody else is doing another way. But adaptability doesn't mean that you just, you know, let go of all of your morals and you go that specific way. If you, if to your core, you actually disagree with it or there's something unethical or whatever it might be that just doesn't make you align with that way. I think for, for me, I meant it is not judgmental of how something is done, but understanding to what extent you align with it. And so what you'd mentioned in terms of like the values, it's just under truly defining and clarifying with yourself what those values are like what do you stand for what what would you fall for right like so you so you like what is that quote when if you stand for something you won't fall for anything like for everything and so it's kind of identifying those values to you maybe that value for me as an individual and i think a lot of this has really kind of seeped into our our company values as well Um, it's the values are really like being global, being professional, being human, being compassionate, all of those values. Like we explicitly remind ourselves of, we like include that in our company training for like when new members are joining and that, so if clients or opportunities arise that might not align with those values, then, um, that doesn't necessarily mean we're not adaptable. I, I view that as we understand what we are bringing to the table, what we're comfortable and what we can sleep at night do like working within, right? Like what partnerships were really like we align with values on and then within those partnerships and once you pursue them is that adaptability comes in in a different format, which is um, really, you know, understanding where they come from and then adapting our training practices, our, um, services to fit that mold to be able to add the most impact. Yeah, totally. Completely agree with you. So Lucy, talk to us about courage and determination. I think those are the things that feed into adaptability, but how, you know, when it comes to make big life uh, or business transitions, so how do you, how did you develop, you know, that determination and courage? And if you had any tips to share um, for others who might be considering big transitions and maybe not necessarily have that determination or courage to actually execute them. 
Yeah, I would say one quote that I even have um, back from my high school yearbook is, uh, I think it's a, it's a Kafka quote. It goes something like, um, basically the non-existent is something that is what has not been sufficiently desired and translated, this is the determination part, translated, that means, I think we we see big accomplishments and we see cool founder stories and just really inspiring people. And we forget that the ideas that they had didn't exist until they brought those ideas to the world, right? So that is part of the, the determination in that we shouldn't discount the power that we have as individuals and like the power of our dreams, which sounds a little bit, you know, like cliche motivational, but it's very true. Like every, everything that we're using that we're sitting on that we're interacting with it began as an idea and so and we as humans our strength and what has you know allowed us to kind of in, become like the leading creature in the organization the orga um the organization of the world is our our ability to dream our ability to see forward into the future and so understanding the power of that, the power of like envisioning something, of envisioning a better life for yourself, of envisioning a better job for yourself, a better position. I think that is the root of at least my determination. And then I would say for the actual execution part, which is kind of like that cur where that courage comes in, right? Where that, that um, actually the drive to actually bring that vision into life, whether you're looking for a new job, whether you want a higher salary, whether you want to set, found a startup or, you know, move to a new country. I think that is, again, understanding the power within yourself to like all of the experiences that you've had in life brought you to this very moment. And for me, it was, I mean, even having this conversation, I'm having kind of like, moments where I'm connecting the dots, right? Of like, you know, from your childhood and your upbringing to, you know, the, the Odyssey book to, um, for me, it was a sisterhood of the traveling pants. Like all of these moments kind of led you to the specific moment. And then specifically your experiences, like the, um, the work that you've put in learning, whether it's in an institution, a, a nice university, or just like observing your parents, observing the world around you, observing your coworkers, your colleagues, all of those experiences make you uniquely you and nobody else like you. And therefore that should, that acts as the foundation of bravery and courage because you bring to the table something very unique. And maybe at the end of the day, the table that you showed up at, you don't love, <laughs> you, you know, like you, for me, it was, you know, maybe Greece wasn't the right choice, but I knew I could fall back on my, on my experiences, on my knowing what I brought to the table and knowing that you can, you can always start over. You can always go back to square one and nobody can ex erase the knowledge that you have, the life experiences that you had. And courage is just knowing the power that you hold within yourself. Absolutely love that. And it is very motivational <laughs> and actually very inspirational. But if we maybe go to, um, now more specific and talk about adapting to a new country, which is what you've done fairly recently, a new language, new culture. So what kind of tips would you give to someone who might be going through a similar experience, not necessarily in a country, but well, adapting to the new way of life that we're having in 2020. So what kind of tips do you think you would share? Practical tips. Yeah, I would, 
I would say keep your eyes and your ears open and like really just observe, uh, do a lot of ob- observing rather than like coming in and trying to offer feedback or like project your own worldviews. I think there's a lot of value that comes from listening, just understanding what the status quo is, what what the, the normal way of, of doing things is. Um, and I guess specifically for the 2020 climate, it's also just re- remaining a little bit agile. Like again, understanding that, you know, this, what work this week looks like might not be what work next week looks like. And it takes a little bit of discomfort, but kind of getting, getting comfortable and making it perhaps a priority to get uncomfortable with uncertainty in a way that is deeper than, <laughs> than previous life chapters. Um, and so I, and also kind of seeing every experience as a learning experience, whether it's good or perhaps just puts hair on your chest. You know, for me, there are plenty of moments where I just, you know, was standing in line at a, at a Greek bank and just like, tr- just getting like yelled at by the teller because I didn't have the right, the right no. papers, like, right? Like, and they didn't speak English and I didn't speak Greek. And so like recognizing that that's just an experience, right? Like now we can laugh about it. And that really taught, you know, next time now I know what papers to bring when I want to, you know, make a deposit. Like, so all of that, there's always something positive. Um, I was in the bookstore this morning and I saw this quote that was um, in the darkness, look for the stars. And I thought that was really nice. Like there's always going to be moments of uncertainty there's always going to be moments where we feel like life everything's out of control but focusing on what like your inner locus of control is whether if even if that means you know just doing the one thing a day that like that makes you feel like you have like done what you needed to do in this new environment maybe it's just like showing up to that one meeting for me that day it was just making this deposit at the bank even if I had spent five hours there yelling and crying to make it happen you know, like just momentum begets momentum and um, it doesn't matter how small of steps you're taking. And also just don't be so hard on yourself because I mean, it's always easier said than done. I, I say this to myself on a daily basis, but it's everyone is going through their own reality and like their own version of whatever the hero's journey is. And whether people are vulnerable and open enough to share it, everybody has, you know, has hit their brick walls. Everybody had, has of had course. those deep moments of self-doubt. And that's what unites us as, a, as humans, which is also, which is scary, but also really beautiful. Yeah, totally. No vulnerabilities is, is where we come close. Um, but thanks again, very beautifully put. And Lucy, we have a few minutes left and I really, really want mm-hmm. to hear your um, thoughts on diversity. Of course, we are women in blockchain podcast, women in technology, and we care a lot about diversity. So what is the situation in, um, in Greece like? So how many women are participating in tech today? And what kind of <clears throat> aspect of technology do women tend to be more involved um, within Greece? So talk to us about that for a few minutes. Yeah, I would say tech like most arenas around the world um, is still, and I think business particularly is um, still quite male dominated. Um, But that being said, there are some really cool and inspiring initiatives um, local to Greece that we've had the privilege of connecting with, working with, 
speaking with um, that are really trying to be pioneers in pushing this like wave of female, female business, like women, female founders forward. Um, programs like F Power, there's a program that's um, based out of Crete called Women Do Business. Um, and there is like this, un this like current that's slowly swelling up of trying to like bring together women in business found like female founders. I do think it's very much a minority, like we are as females very much a minority. And I think myself as a foreigner in the space, I, I definitely am a minority. But that being said, you know, like the brain game um, that we discussed earlier, there is I like a more and more diversity that's starting to be brought into the ecosystem by way of like digital nomads, by way of Greeks returning from the diaspora, bringing a very diverse mindset. And so I would say while there isn't as much diversity as say a hyper diverse place like New York City, um, there are def there's definitely the intention. And what I really love about the Greek, I think culture as a whole, is that it might be fairly, I mean, homogenous in terms of like, of course, religion, race, um, but because they have this kind of like hospitality spirit and there's always this welcoming nature of kind of welcoming foreign foreigners, welcoming like this, this foreign perspective, whether or not it's actually implemented, but like a patience and a compassion and a kindness that you do see um, kind of embedded in, in the Greek DNA. So I think that that in and of itself is powerful enough to um, continue. Because even it, it showed in the way that they, you know, they were really curious. They were very welcoming when I sent those cold emails, right? They were like, oh, wow, you know, like you want to come here? Like, absolutely. You know, there's not that many Americans that we know, but like we could definitely use a new perspective. Let us introduce you to people. It's so amazing that, to hear yeah. that the Greek hospitality comes through in business as well. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely comes through and it's a great relationship builder, I will say. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, um, Lucy, is there anything I didn't ask you that you would like to share or add? Um, not, I'd say just follow your dreams. This is a very inspiring podcast for myself as well, this conversation. So, so true. Um, so true. Yeah. Follow your dreams. That's definitely is the message of this podcast and you have <laughs> and you've done it. So that's, that's amazing. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for sharing your journey. I'm sure that it will be an inspiration to many of our listeners. Thank you, Laura. It's been such a pleasure. I hope we can do it again soon. Thanks so much for joining us today. Please check the notes section of this podcast to find the links to some of the info that Lucy shared and her contact details. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Women of Blockchain podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share. And don't forget that if you are looking to learn more about blockchain and get access to quality free online content, do visit cointelligence.com and choose the topic that interests you most. Finally, check out public.com, that is spelled P-U-B-L-C, create a free account and support the internet of tomorrow. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you all on the next episode.